In the late 14th century, an English priest named William Givens was excommunicated for a crime he didn't know he committed. Had he really cheated on Jesus? How was St. Paul involved? That's what we're discussing on today's Footnoting History. Hey guys, welcome to Footnoting History. I'm Christine, and today we're going to talk about bigamist priests in the medieval English Catholic Church. What exactly is a bigamist priest? Well, I think that the best way to explore this quirky medieval notion is to jump right into a real-life story of a man who fell into this category. Once upon a time, or in the late 14th century, William Gibbons was a single man living in Litchfield, England. He was an acolyte for the Catholic Church, which is a position that serves as part of the minor orders of the religion. Basically, it's a way to serve the church without having to take the extensive vows that priests do, like, you know, chastity. So, like most other single men of his time, he decided he wanted to get married. Although we don't know her name, we do know that his chosen wife was already a widow. So, William signed on to be her second husband. That's something you're going to want to remember for later on. William and his wife stayed married, let's hope they were happy, until her death sometime in the tail end of the 1300s. Now a widower, William was faced with the rest of his life and had to make a choice about how he wanted to spend it. His decision was that he wanted to enter the priesthood. It wasn't uncommon for widows or widowers to take vows after the deaths of their spouses, and the Middle Ages are filled with stories of women retiring to convents or men taking up the cloth. William, by moving from a widower to a priest, was a man of his time, or, you know, he liked to think that he was. It turned out someone who knew Father William was better educated in the laws of the church than he was. This person, we don't know his name, knew the rule forbidding bigamous priests and had William removed from his duties and slammed with excommunication. That's not a good thing. Excommunication is the denial of all church sacraments and blessings. It basically signs you into eternal damnation. I mean, if you're a priest, that's not something that you want to hear. Not to mention, it's one heck of a punishment for a guy who doesn't even know why he's a bigamist. We've just said that a lot of people become priests after their wives die, so really, why is it that William in particular is in violation? Well, to figure that out, we have to turn to that titan of Catholic theology, St. Paul, and his writings in the New Testament. In Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, he instructs them to appoint priests, quote, on condition that a man be blameless and married only once. The theological basis for this is actually surprisingly simple. The spiritual union of a marriage is believed to be the representation of the marriage between Christ and his church. In order for this bond to be pure, it must exist between only two people. If you are married to more than one person, you were too divided and therefore not in the correct spiritual state to be admitted into the major orders. That's the one that has the chastity vow. You were only allowed one marriage and one marriage only before you joined the priesthood. Otherwise, you were effectively cheating on Jesus. Jesus would never have cheated on his church, so you shouldn't be dividing yourself as well. Paul's voice in the church was so strong that it contributed to what was called apostolic law a body of rules that were seen to be the core of the Catholic belief and pretty much unbreakable. The bigamy rulings became further cemented into the church law books in the 12th century. That was when a jurist from Bologna named Gratian stepped onto the scene. He compiled what is now called Gratian's Decretum. 
This collection of church laws essentially became the go-to textbook, and right there in its pages, it denied the rights of men who were married more than once from joining the priesthood. In fact, this law was so embedded in the church that it continued to be upheld even during times of church infighting. You see, the period of William's life overlapped with the papal schism. For more on the schism, really, you have to go listen to Nathan's podcasts on the papal abdication. But for our purposes, suffice it to say that politics and religion were mixing in such a way that for almost half a century, people couldn't agree on who was pope. The result was a pope in Rome and another pope in Avignon. Things got so crazy at one point that while trying to fix all of this, there was even a third pope at Pisa. That plays into our story, because no matter which of your multiple choice popes you wanted to deal with, they all believed bigamy was an impediment to being ordained. So basically, you could be in trouble with three popes instead of just one. So, what actions could bar you from becoming a priest and label you as bigamist? It's time for a little segment I like to call, You Know You'd Be a Bigamist Priest When. One, you know you'd be a bigamist priest when you fail to dismiss your adulterous wife. So if your wife cheats on you and you want to be a priest someday, tell her to go away. Number two, you know you'd be a bigamist priest if you married a woman who is not a virgin at the time of your marriage. So again, if you're hoping that your wife dies before you, when you choose to marry her, you better make sure that she wasn't sleeping around before your wedding day. Number three, you know you'd be a bigamist priest when you were part of any long-term relationship, so something like what we now would call a common-law marriage, and the woman was not a virgin before the relationship began. So basically, you would be okay sleeping with a woman for a long time without marrying her, so long as you were the only man that she was ever sleeping with. Okay, that works, I guess. Finally, number four. This is where William comes in. You know you'd be a bigamous priest when you were once married to a widow. Why does it only matter who your wife was with and not who you were with? Well, unfortunately, my only answer for that is things were seen much differently back then. I'm not going to judge the past, but we're just going to tell the story. And this story involves men with religious ambitions being denied their roles because of the former sex lives of their late wives. It's a little unexpected, but it's very interesting. Like it or not, our William was seen as spiritually tied to his wife's first husband and therefore not fit for the priesthood. Really, he should have been turned away before he was even ordained. That's the idea of an impediment. It's something that prevents you from becoming or doing something else. So if people knew that this was the law, they shouldn't have allowed him to take his vows. But somehow he slipped through the cracks and was only found out later on. The church clearly knew this was a violation of apostolic law and punished him with the excommunication. But R. William, you know, he really wanted to be a priest and really wanted to save his soul, so he wasn't about to give up then. The record shows that he was saved from eternal damnation in the year 1400 by Roman Pope Boniface IX. You see, the Pope was really the only person who could save you at this point. He had what was called the power of dispensation. That means William could petition him to undo his excommunication and restore him to his job. In William's case, I imagine you would do this by explaining your ignorance of the law, swearing that you didn't do it on purpose, and then begging to be forgiven. Just so we don't get confused here, a dispensation doesn't mean that you are suddenly no longer guilty. It's sort of like a free pass from the Pope, or he's okay to continue serving the church despite technically being in a state when you shouldn't be allowed to. Nothing could really change the fact that William's first wife had been married before she married him. But an appeal to the Pope 
could move the Pope to allow William back into the fold anyway. So something tells me that when Father William received his dispensation, he pretty much became a big fan of Pope Boniface IX. Imagine the relief at learning that the Pope was not damning you and shunning you from the church for committing a crime that you didn't even know was possible. Okay, so William had a bit of a scare, but nevertheless, he found his way back. Now, here's a second scenario that comes from a different one of our ways to be bigamous. Thirteen years after Father William breathed a sigh of relief over the status of his immortal soul, Father Walter Alexandri of Winchester was in trouble. He too had to petition the Pope to forgive him. Now, he did not petition the same Pope because this was years later, and his dispensation came from anti-Pope John Twenty-Third. This is a Pope who was at Pisa, so he's one of those third Popes that came around. And please don't confuse him with the accepted Pope, John Twenty-Third, who was Pope in the 1950s and responsible for Vatican II. Now, the dispensation he received described Walter's crimes like this, and this is a direct quote. It says that Walter, quote, married the late Edith Hobbs, thinking her a virgin, and had offspring by her, and, upon her death, in ignorance of the existence of an impediment arising from the fact that, as he afterward learns, she had, before the said marriage, committed fornication with other men, had himself promoted to all holy orders, and celebrated mass and other divine offices. Now, this is a bit of a funny situation. Granted, it probably wasn't funny to Father Walter, but, you know, we know from this entry that Walter married a woman named Edith Hobbs. At the time of their marriage, he believed that Edith was a virgin. At some point after they tied the knot, he learned that she was not actually a virgin when they married. In fact, it says that she fornicated with other men, so that implies that it was more than just one guy she was sleeping around with. I don't know if that makes it worse or not in his mind, but, you know, it's not fun. Okay, so that's a scandal right there, right? I mean, did he find out before she died or after she died? The wording of the text and the absence of an excommunication makes me want to say that he found out about his wife's past fornication after his ordination. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he knew already. Maybe he pretended that he didn't know about it so he could claim ignorance when he got caught. Unfortunately, since this little paragraph is our only bit of information, we will never really know that for sure. I mean, look, let's face it. The eternal inability to know absolutely everything is one of the most frustrating parts of historical research. All we can do is imagine that he probably wasn't too thrilled to learn that he wasn't Edith's first, no matter when he gained this information. Since, as I mentioned, it doesn't indicate that Walter was ever excommunicated, maybe he was a little bit better off than William. He received the dispensation from the Pisan antipope and returned to his life as a priest in Winchester. I guess that means everything turned out okay in the end for him. Well, ladies and gentlemen, today we took the concept of a historical footnote to the extreme. When I was first introduced to this topic several years ago, I quickly learned that it was so obscure there was not one book dedicated to it. Seriously, not one. The topic was mentioned in two or three places, but never for more than a few pages, and not one of them really discussed the actual experiences of the people impacted by it. So here's an idea. The next time you're at a party, you need to toss around the words bigamist priest and see what reactions you get. Then you can tell them the stories of William and Walter, because if there's one thing we do know, it's that they are more famous in this moment than they have been for the last 600 years. So, you know, let's give them a little bit of time in the spotlight, even just as an anecdote over cocktails. 
This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week.